And I just want to draw your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 1. It was interesting, I was talking to Ian there before the service and he was saying over the past number of weeks he's been speaking about soul winning. And I said, that's very strange for I'm bringing tonight five foundation stones of soul winning. And so Ian and I are on the same wavelength, I hope anyway. <laughs> well, we'll wait till I'm finished. Maybe a bit of tippex or something used in the invitations and another name scribbled in. You never know. But we'll get to it anyway. First, first uh, Timothy, first Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Let's hear the word of the living God. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that, Je that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And we know that God again will bless the public reading of his own inspired, precious, holy, infallible word. When Ian rung me up and he says, I want you to come and speak at the midweek, there's a verse of scripture sprang into my mind right away, right away. And it was verse 15. For this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that came into my mind right away. And I thought, well, Lord, that's good. That's maybe a verse for me to preach on at the, at the gospel meeting. And, but I'll have to look for something else for the midweek. And try as I made over a number of weeks to think about this meeting in particular and how important it would be perhaps to set the scene for the mission. I couldn't get away from this verse. And like all good preachers, I tried to find I tried to find another portion of scripture and I searched the word of God. I said, this is not for this meeting. And the more I searched, the more my head emptied and there wasn't a thought and there was nothing. And so on Monday morning, I got up Monday morning and I sat at my desk and I opened the word of God to this chapter and to this verse and I says, right, Lord, if this is it, I don't understand it. I don't understand it, but if this is it, you need to show me. You need to show me what you want me to say. And so I started to read the verses before it and the verses after it. That's always a good thing to do when you're studying the Word. Just don't take one verse. Always read the verses before it and read the verses after it. And this evening, I want to bring to you what I believe God laid upon my heart. I want to bring five foundation stones of soul winning. You see, the Apostle Paul was the greatest soul winner. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the greatest soul winner. And he saw many souls won for the Lord. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you want to be a soul winner? 
Now, I'm sure if I asked for a show of hands, everybody would put their hand up. I would say that would be all right. And that would be a good thing. Let me ask you another question tonight. Are you a soul winner? You see, it's a different thing to want to be a soul winner than to be a soul winner. There are many things that I have wanted to be in life. A bit thinner is probably one of them. But to want to be something is totally different than being something. So many of us go through our Christian life wanting to be, but never being. And I hope tonight that as we look at these five foundational stones of of soul winning, that every one of us move from wanting to be to being a soul winner. First Timothy is one of the pastoral epistles. You all know that. It was written by Paul to this young pastor, Timothy, whom Paul loved. And Timothy was being uh, charged with the, the oversight of the church at Ephesus and also with the ongoing work in Asia Minor. And this letter was written primarily to guide young Timothy, to encourage him, as verse 18 says, to encourage him to to fight the good fight, to keep going, to to war a good warfare, to keep going on when the temptation is to, to let go and to take it easy and to give up, but to keep fighting the good fight and also to to teach the church or guide the church how to behave together in chapter 3, verse 15. But in the verses that we have read, to me it spoke of soul winning. Spurgeon said this. He says, God formed man, sin deformed man, the school informs man, but only Christ transforms man. Therefore, preach Christ to all men. The question I ask myself, and you may think this is a strange question for a pastor to ask himself, but, uh, but I ask myself this question. I says, Lord, how can I be used in the miracle of soul winning? How can I be used? Because salvation is of the Lord. You and I can't create an anxious thought. But God in his grace and his mercy to you and me has allowed us to be part of that work of reaching men and women with the gospel and seeing men and women one for the Lord Jesus Christ and entering into the joy of a soul being saved that heaven has when a soul is saved. We're told heaven rejoices. And you know, it's a great thing. There's nothing brings more joy to a fellowship than to see souls saved. So what's the first foundational stone? Well, the first foundational stone is personal thankfulness. Personal thankfulness. Paul says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Can I ask you a question? Are you glad you're saved? You see, that's miserable. They harm these. And I know we're Baptists, and we're not prone to any sort of exuberance in any way. But we are talking about our soul's salvation. I was talking to your brother in the Lord the other day. <laughs> and he says to me, he says, he says, Alan, he says, did you ever lose something you didn't want to find? <laughs> and I, I says, uh, I thought, I says, no. He says, what about weight? <laughs> he 
you, you lose a bit of weight, you didn't want to find it. But he says, isn't it wonderful that God has taken our sins as far as the east is from the west? He has removed them from us. He has taken your sin away and my sin away and we'll never find it again. Isn't that powerful? Now, are you glad you're saved? Amen. Amen. That's a whole lot better. Paul says, first of all, he says, I'm thankful that I'm saved. I'm thankful that he saved me. It says, verse 13, it says, who, hath be, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. He says, I'm glad I'm saved. How many of us have got used to being saved? I'm saved, I think it'll be 48 years in March. 16th of March, 1976. Is that 48? That's 48 years. I'll be 48 years saved. And I want to tell you folks, I haven't got over it yet. I haven't got over it yet. I still marvel at it and wonder at it every single day. It's, it's more or less the first phrase in my quiet time. Lord, thank you for saving me. That the God of all glory, the God of all creation, would look upon a wretch of the dust like me and save me. I want to tell you I'm so thankful that I'm saved. Many of us today have become conditioned to the mercy of God. We have. It, we're no longer thankful for the mercy of God shown to us. We, we just take it for granted. But beloved, can I say to you, this? if you're not thrilled about your soul's salvation, if you're not over the moon about being saved, if you don't feel, and I know we have a lot of problems, a lot of difficulties in life, I understand that, but we can rejoice in the Lord always. When you think of your soul's salvation, what you are, and what Christ has done for you, and you don't feel like doing cartwheels, how are you going to expect anybody outside of the Lord Jesus Christ to be interested? You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in the Presbyterian church, and <clears throat> I grew up, different now a wee bit, I'm sure, but I grew up at an age when everybody was miserable. You know, like Christianity nearly was like a big boulder you had to carry about with you everywhere you went. And any Christian I knew, bar perhaps one or two, you know, was a big long face. And, you know, it, it was, you know, the more, the more unhappy you looked, the godlier you were. But, beloved, there's nothing in that to convince anybody. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's one of the greatest weapons we have in reaching men and women uh, with the gospel. When I get into a shop, it doesn't matter where it is. When I get into a shop and, and go to the counter, and they usually say, how are you? Well, I say I'm too close to heaven to complain. And I shout it out right through the whole shop so everybody hears it. I shout, I'm too close to heaven to complain. And I'm telling you, that opens up doors to, for conversations and all the rest. It's just talking to folk around you that hear you. But you hear it. See, if you've lost that thrill, you've lost so much that's important in your Christian life. You know, we can have our, our doctrines and our theologies all sorted out, and that's good. We, you, you can have all the organizational boxes ticked as far as this mission is concerned, and, and that's great, and you can hold extra prayer meetings. That's wonderful. But if your heart and my heart is cold in relation to God's salvation, then I want to tell you there'll be very little achieved in this mission. Very, very little. 
Very little that will last. Let me read my testimony chapter. I don't know if anybody else has got testimony chapters, but I have a testimony chapter. Don't panic. There's only six verses in it. Isaiah chapter 12. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Isn't that a great verse? Drawing water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Isn't that powerful? That's a great chapter. And I tell you, that thrills your soul every time you read it. Beloved, the first thing for soul willing to be effective is to be glad you're saved yourself. Be glad you're saved. That personal joyfulness. But secondly, Paul says, I'm thankful that he strengthened me. Not only that he saved me, but that he strengthened me. Who hath enabled me, he says. Paul was a highly educated man. He lived in the... the, the the clouds of academia. He, he, he bathed himself in the law and the prophets. He was taught with the, by the great philosophical giants of his day. His education was second to none. And surely such a man with such an education, with such a background, with such talent, surely in his own strength he could have done the work of God. He could have volunteered his brain to the Lord. He could have handed over his intellect to the Lord. But Paul knew that for the work of God, human strength and human ability, while it may seem wonderful to you and me, and it may be marveled at by many other people, yet in the work of soul winning, he needed the power and the strength that only God could give. He needed that. My Peter, in his own strength, he seemed outwardly to be a natural leader. He was the first one to speak up. He always had an opinion. He, he seemed to be the one who was the most devout and the most gifted. Yet we find that when he was left to his own strength, he denied the Lord three times. Yet in Acts chapter 2, filled with the Holy Ghost, resting only upon the strength that God gives, he fearlessly preaches the gospel and 300 souls, or 3,000 souls are saved. And I know there's much organizing goes into getting a mission ready. I know that. And it's all needed. But Organizing a mission is not a foundation for soul living. It's living in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Every day. Every day. How many of you 
Oh, this is a wild personal question. I didn't want to offend anybody, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How many of you, over that, this last month, as you've seen the mission looming over the horizon, have thought to yourself, I need to tidy up my life. I need to pray a wee bit more. I need to read a wee bit more. I need to be a wee bit more holier. I need to be a wee bit more spiritual. Because, you know, I, I don't want to be a hindrance or a roadblock to this mission. Could I say to you this evening, that's kind of a waste of time in the sense that you should already be all those things. Trying to tidy up your life just for the sake of a gospel mission is really of very little use indeed. And I know God, I, I know it's good to, <clears throat> to pray for the preacher and, and nobody knows that better than me. I need it. I need it. But the greater need is to pray for the power of the Holy Ghost to empower each one of us so that we are soul winning. You may think, you may think that <clears throat> prayer is the most important thing for a mission. I can see he's now you're starting to panic. I would say it's not. <gasps> I would say it's not. Do you know what I think is the most important thing? A prayer life. A prayer life. You can organize prayer meetings every day of the week. But if you haven't a prayer life, if I haven't a prayer life, is it worth anything? Does it add anything? Will it draw men and women to the Lord? I think a prayer life is one of the most important things to this mission. Your prayer life is one of the most important things you can bring to this mission. Paul says, thank you for saving me. I'm glad I'm saved. He says, thank you for strengthening me. Thank you for making me who I am, enabling me to serve you. Thirdly, Paul says, I'm thankful that you called me, that you counted me faithful. So often, Ian and I are looking for volunteers. We're looking for volunteers. How many times, how many times have you heard your pastor going onto the pulpit and saying, if anybody can help us? Isn't that right? If anybody can help us, we're going to do this. And if you can help us, that would be great. And so often we're looking for volunteers. Could I say to you this evening, you may think that boy's more radical than I thought he was. God's not looking for volunteers. God's not looking for volunteers. He's not. You see, you and I are bought with a price. We are no longer our own. You and I are bond slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We haven't a choice to volunteer or not volunteer as it were. We are slaves. And what God is seeking for is our obedience and our faithfulness to him. I remember I'm the youngest of four. I have three older brothers and, and there's about 12 years or so between me and my next brother. So I was a wee afterthought. We late one. So I was the one that was sent for everything. If they were doing work on the farm and I was with them, if they forgot something or they had to get more nails or they had to get a sledgehammer or they had to get 
this, that, and the other thing. I was told, go and get that. I wasn't asked, would you, or could you, or if you have time. I had to, he just, my big brother Robert, he was just said, go and get me a sledge. Go and get me a hammer. Go and get me another peon post. And you see if I went, okay. Well, look, I, whoever was in his hand would have got me in the back of the head. <laughs> you see, it wasn't, up for, it wasn't up for option or discussion. I was there. He was in charge. And when he said go, I was to go. I was to go. And I was, I was 50 years old. And he got a new car. I was 50 years old. I'm getting away off me. But I was 50 years old. And he got a new car. And I went to his house to see his new car. And our farm is just up the road from his house, about 400 yards or so. And I says, Robert, I'm here to have a sale in your new car. And he says, ah, he says, the wife has the keys. He says, run away up to, the, up to the house and get them. I was 50 year old. I was halfway up the road before I realized what I was doing. I was running full tilt up the road at 50 years old. Before, what am I doing? But you see, it was ingrained in me that I wasn't my own in those situations. That whatever my brother told me to do, I was to go and do it. I wasn't looking for a volunteer. God's not looking for volunteers. He's looking for you to be Abraham. Remember when the Lord was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And he came to see Abraham first of all. Remember that? And Abraham made them a meal. And they sat under a tree. What does it say about Abraham? It says that Abraham stood beside them. Abraham stood beside them as a servant. He had given his very best. But he stood there in case the Lord would want something else. And he could just go and get it right away. That's what the Lord wants you and me to do. To be beside him. So he just has to say the word. And you and I go and do our best. I, I, I love being saved. Hope you got that. And I am so thankful to God. That God is not looking for the smartest. Or the most talented. Or, or the best gifted. Because I'm none of those things. When I left school. I could barely read and write. I practiced writing my name and my address. And that was more or less all that I knew when I left school. When I went to Bible college, it was more or less the same thing. And I wondered how I was going to cope with writing essays and doing exams and all the rest of it. But the Lord undertook for me. But God's not really looking for the smartest or the, the most talented or the best gifted. He's just looking for down-to-earth faithfulness. He's looking... For you and me, that he can count on us. That he can give us a work to do and, and he knows we'll go and do it. It's not good enough to be faithful just for the next two weeks or so of the mission. God, God owns you and me. He bought us with the precious blood of his only begotten son. And we can't just be his for a fortnight and expect God to save souls. It just doesn't work that way. 
We are to be faithful in season, out of season. We are to be ready to be called upon. And if the Lord were to call you today, I want you to go across the field to that farm, that farmer that you maybe have fallen out with or you haven't spoken to in 10 years or whatever the case may be, who, who took something about the machinery and never returned it again or whatever, brought it back and it was broke, whatever the case may be, I want you to go over and invite him to the mission. Would you say like young, Sam, young Samuel, speak for thy servant heareth? Would you? To be a soul winner, there needs to be personal thankfulness. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for strengthening me. Thank you for calling me. I need to move. There needs to be that personal thankfulness. But secondly, there has to be a presentational teaching. Verse 14 says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> While we are to warn men and women of hell, and what awaits that man or woman if they reject the Lord Jesus Christ and die without him? We have to warn them of that. We have to. We're not being faithful if we don't. We have to preach and make men and women aware of their fallen state. If men and women don't realize that they're sinners, they'll never realize that they need a Savior. We have to make them understand that the judgment of God is going to fall upon all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. But how are we to preach it? How are we to preach it? What is the motivation behind the, the, the gospel preaching and the gospel preacher? Paul knew what he deserved that he deserved the condemnation of God. It says there in verse 13, he was before a blasphemer, persecutor. He says, I, I knew what I was. I knew what I deserved, but it was God's grace and the offer of faith and the assurance of love that won his heart to Jesus. Paul could say, for by grace are you saved. He could say, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He could say, what shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Beloved, the, the presentation of the gospel, while it has to warn men and women of hell and be absolutely assured, I'll be doing that. But it has to be saturated by grace and faith and the love of God. It has to be. The saving of the soul is, is a work of God alone, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin, of, of righteousness and judgment to come. It is God's grace through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that covers all the sins of the sinner. Beloved and soul winning, all of the gospel has to be presented faithfully, graciously, and lovingly. It has to be. Personal thankfulness, presentational teaching. The third foundation for soul winning is powerful truth. You have to know the message. <laughs> you have to know the message. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
You have to know the message. You have to know what you're talking about. The trend today in much of what is called Christian is to water down the gospel, to make it more appealing to the masses, to be non-confrontational. I know that's what we were taught at Bible college, don't confront people with the gospel. I would have wondered how Paul and Peter and Stephen would have got on at Bible college. But we're to bring it down to the gutter of sin so nobody feels that they have to repent, that nobody is made to feel guilty. Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ had one mission in his earthly ministry, and that was to die for the salvation of precious souls, to shed his blood for the remission of sins. And he knew from eternity past what it would involve. It would involve the cross. And it should be our business to see souls saved. And how dare we today seek to water down the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This gospel is the only power of God unto salvation. There is no plan B for anyone to win souls beloved. We have to remain faithful and committed and consecrated to the powerful truth of the gospel. We have to. We can't deviate from it. We can't waver from it. There'll be those who will accept it and be saved. Praise the Lord. There'll be those who reject it and be lost. That's, that's the way it'll be. But whether we receive the applause of men or the abuse of men, we are to remain faithful to the power of the gospel personal thankfulness, presentational teaching, powerful truth. Fourthly, practical testimony. Howbeit, verse 16, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first uh, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Can I ask you another question? What kind of Christian were you six months ago? What kind of Christian were you a month ago? What kind of Christian were you a week ago? And I know that in many ways we have to prepare ourselves for mission. I understand that. Me, perhaps more than anybody else. We have to set aside time. And you have set aside time to give out invitations. Someone's booking singers. Others will be doing door-to-door work. Somebody else will be looking after the car parking during the mission. Somebody else will be on the door welcoming people. And and we all want to do our best. And we all want to be at our best. But I would say to you again this evening, if you want to be a soul winner, if you have not been living for Christ every day, if you haven't already a testimony that points to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in your life. If you are not already a pattern of saving grace, a pattern of what Christian living is, that that those who would be interested in salvation would see you and know what a Christian is, then I would put it to you that what else may be done during this mission will be in vain. 
Paul says, because of what Christ has done for me, I no longer live, but he lives in me. And I now live for him, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul could say, here's a wonderful statement, what you see in me do. Could you go up to someone and say, what you see in me do? Beloved, I'm convinced that to be a soul winner, we need a personal testimony that points sinners to Jesus. Trying to tidy up your testimony, trying to heighten your prayer life for, for the next two weeks of mission, will not do. It is simply not good enough. It is simply not good enough. You're papering over the cracks. We need to have a testimony of faithfulness in our witness and in our prayer. We do. And can I ask you again, what direction is your testimony? What direction is my testimony? Pointing sinners. Are we pointing sinners to Jesus? Or are we pointing sinners away from Jesus? There was a man, when I was a young man at Glenhorry uh, Presbyterian Church, Sammy Graham, you called him. Sammy, you, you will all be an age now, you'll understand what a serviceman was. He was a man who worked on the roads, who cut the hedges and trimmed the hedges and cleared out the drains along the road. That was his job. That was his job. He wasn't a highly educated man in that regard. And, and there wasn't maybe a wild lot of folk knew much of him other than around our part of the country. But Sammy Graham was the only man I ever met who could walk into a room and change the atmosphere in a room just by walking into it. When Sammy Graham was coming to your house for dinner and came to our house a few times for his lunch on a Sunday, it was like the king coming. It was like the king coming. When Sammy Graham sat down at your table, there's just something different about that table. You see, Sammy Graham, when he retired from, from being a serviceman and, and he preached wee messages around the countryside and he, he served the Lord for years. But when he retired, he says, Lord, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? And he lived way up in the green hill. And he looked out the window and, and he saw all the lights of the different houses around the countryside. And the Lord says, you go and read and pray in every one of those houses. And that's what Sammy Graham spent the rest of his days doing. Going around every single house in the countryside and read and prayed with them. And when Sammy Graham died, it was like someone out of the royal family dying. It sent ripples right across the whole community. And everybody's heart was broken because here was a man who had a testimony for Jesus. Whether you liked him or you didn't like him, whether you agreed with him or didn't agree with him, he had a testimony for the Lord. His life pointed men and women to the Lord. The foundation stones of soul winning. Personal thankfulness, presentational teaching, powerful truth, practical testimony. Right, I'm finishing. Finally, passionate trust. Passionate trust. I find it very hard to, to, to understand passionless Christians. I do. 
I find it very hard. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. And I don't know what you were like two days before you got saved, but I was the most miserable wee fellow ever you've seen. I was under so much conviction of my sin. I was having dreams at night. I couldn't eat. It was fierce, fierce. And the moment I got saved and I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, that was gone and the joy came in. The joy came in. And I can sing redeemed how I love to proclaim it. And I want to tell you, I love, I love preaching the gospel. And we need passion. Verse 17 says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Can you imagine Paul saying, You know, well, well you know, now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I can't hear. I can't. It just doesn't ring with me. It just doesn't sit with me. Now on to, he's been, te he's been teaching what, what Christ has done for him and what Christ has made him into. And he's coming to the climax and he's, he's full of passion. And to the, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the summit of, of soul winning. This is the summit. You see, God is the only one who deserves all the honor and all the glory. That's the summit. The eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Beloved, gospel preaching and soul winning is to be done for the honor and the glory of God. If souls are saved, if God blesses us with souls during this mission, do not attribute any credit to the preacher. Don't even mention his name. Don't. Our trust for this mission rests upon God and God alone. We rest on him with a passionate consecration. We lay this mission before him and say, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. And we do so seeking for all the honor and the glory. For every soul that's saved. For every message that's preached. It all belongs to him. Don't be going out talking about the preacher. Please don't. Please don't. I will be so annoyed and so hurt. If you go out talking about the preacher, go out talking about the Lord. Don't, don't, don't go to people's houses and knock and say, oh, you'll have to come to hear this preacher. No. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. No. Knock the door and say, will you come to this mission and meet the Lord? That's who we want you to meet. That's who we want you to hear. Folk will get nothing from meeting me. But they'll get everything if they meet the Lord. Everything. Soul winning is not a Sunday thing. It's not a mission thing. It is our life to win souls. A life that's marked with personal thanksgiving 
presentational teaching, powerful truth, practical testimony, and a passion, a passionate trust in the power of God. And to him alone, and to him alone, we ascribe all the honor and all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much, Alan, for that wonderful message from a wonderful Savior. We'll sing 349. If you have to leave, you can't stay for the prayer time. When we're singing this hymn, that's your opportunity. I'll not be going to the door tonight, but if you have to leave and you can't stay, uh, that's fine. Uh, 349, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. Alan said we're good singers. Show them how good we really are. We'll stand to sing after we get the introduction. Thank you, Edna. <laughs>